Welcome to the Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history podcast, a series exploring the rich, nuanced history of Grambling State University, the city of Grambling, and the people who make it. This series is a collaborative project between students and faculty of the History Department of Grambling State University, as well as faculty from the University of Arkansas. The Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history project, has been made possible in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities in partnership with the Social Science Research Council. Additional funding was provided by the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Social Science Research Council, or the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. Greetings, this is Yanis Days, instructor of history at Grambling State University, and I have the privilege of interviewing historic coach, baseball coach, Coach Wilbert Ellis. Welcome, Coach Ellis. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. To begin, I'm going to um, ask that you would share a little information about yourself, your background, and um, how you initially arrived at Grambling. Okay. First of all, it's just great to be here, and I'm really excited. I'm sorry I got a little allergy this morning flying around. Um, I'm Wilbert Ellis. I grew up in Jackson, Paris, born there with my grandmother was... uh, and uh, my mother and father was there visiting, and uh, she so had the baby there. My mom, grandmother was a midwife. And so then in the 40s, we moved to Ruston, Louisiana. And that's where I grew up and spent most of my time in Ruston. And uh, that was exciting when we got to Ruston because Asbury is a small community made up of a handful of people. And so when we got to town and saw all the lights, it was bright and excited. And so I told my mother and father, I said, you know, this is where I need to be as a young boy. And so then Zion Travel Baptist Church was the leading church. And that was our end of our membership under the late J.B. Hewitt. And uh, the community welcomed us so well and made me feel so good until I got excited. And then uh, I loved uh, young people, and I was young, but I always felt that I was older than they were. And so, you know, activities were the thing that I loved. I knew at nine years old I wanted to be a coach. I knew that because I could get youngsters together. And we had this great big backyard and my mother and father would prepare cookies and things for us. And at the same time, I'd have 100 kids in the backyard. And we would have football and baseball. And many of those kids developed to do real well, including myself. I didn't care too much about playing the game, but I did play. My, my interest was to get a group together and maintain the sport and make sure that we learn how to play. And I had an old uncle who kind of taught us how to do it. Awesome. Um, what were your first impressions of Grambling after you moved to the Ruston area? Well, that's all you heard was Grambling, Grambling College. Um, and it was so exciting to know that uh, there was an institution nearby and a predominant black and uh, was doing a lot of things. And and my dad and mom always would talk about Grambling after we learned more. And then we would come in contact with people. 
and we found out that in an elementary school, and I went to school, and uh, there were some of the teachers who had finished at Gramlin and got their degree in education. And um, and then as I moved on and uh, in, the, in the junior high, um, the late J.K. Hames, who was my principal, was one of the pioneers in this area through integration and uh, principal and in higher education. And so what we did then, um, as I heard about Gramlin more and more, then we got into the 40s, more of the 40s. And then uh, I got in high school, and that that's when I really heard a lot about it. Uh, Mrs. Doris Robinson, Coach Robinson, came to Gramlin, was hired by President Jones in 1941 as the coach. And uh, during that time, Prez was everything. He, uh, Mr. Adam brought him in in 1926. And, uh, and so here Coach Robinson and Mrs. Robinson got a job in Lincoln, Paris to teach English. And that's all we heard about her husband, Eddie Robinson. Eddie Robinson. I think we learned more Eddie Robinson than we did English, you know. <laughs> but it was exciting to us and to find out about that. I know on our first field trip, she brought us to Gramlin, and we met Eddie Robinson, President Jones, Dr. Cole, and many others, outstanding individuals. And that just sold me, you know. I just always said, oh, I just hope one day I can get out of high school and get to Gramlin. It's uh, remarkable, uh, very interesting uh, story. So when you arrived, you ended, eventually came to school here at Grambling. So your dream, yeah. go, go ahead. Yeah, I, 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 I finished high school, came to Grambling, and uh, was so excited, so excited. Everybody was so warm. Uh, it made you feel good. You take a little boy from a country area, came more lights in a city, and now you're at one of the greatest universities of all. And I'm excited. My eyes buck. I had large eyes anyway, but they got larger. And uh, when I got to the campus, and uh, uh, we commuted. I didn't stay on the campus. Okay. And uh, we didn't have to pay that much during that day to come to school, so my dad was able to do it. And um, so I came to school at Gramlin. And, um, you know, I didn't care too much about playing baseball, but I always went out and looked at baseball and got a chance to meet Prez and all of that and then a little baseball playing. But my main interest was to learn all I could about sports and especially baseball. So you mentioned you weren't all that interested so much as playing, but you did play. Yeah. Just a little. Just a little bit? Yeah. I uh, was an average player, you know. Yeah, played in high school. And uh, and then uh, after I got to Gramlin and all of that, then I uh, uh, moved around and uh, and went to school. And uh, then later, later, and uh, Prez uh, had some interest in me. And Coach Rob had some interest in me and wanted me to continue to go to school. And then after I got a chance to come back to Gramlin 
and uh, had an opportunity to be with Prez on the baseball field. And then from 1960 to 1977, I was with him and served as his assistant. Uh, during that time that you were assistant to uh, Prez, how was he as a coach? First of all, Prez was ahead of his time. He was one of the greatest humanitarians I've ever met in my life. He knew he respected you for number one. He taught you, and he learned your life lessons. He gave you an opportunity to do well. He'd always say, you've got to be somebody. You've got to work to be. And you can be anything you want to be. He told everybody on campus the same thing. Prez knew everybody, everybody by name on campus. And when you saw Prez, you stopped and you spoke and you honored him as the president. Now, when he got through it in his office in the evening at 3 o'clock, he put on his shoes, his coaching shoes, coaching pants, and he came to the field. And he taught the basic fundamentals of the game of baseball. But also he taught his players about life. And he told them that the importance of growing up, and you can use baseball as life skills. And, uh, you know, he said, you want, you want you to have a great family. I want you to be able to go back to your community and give some lifelong lessons. If you got some little brothers and sisters, be able to shine a light so they will know the importance of getting an education and doing well in the community. And just do something that is constructive. I love that about prayers. And you know what? I tried to follow all of that, too. And I, I did most of it and practically tried to do it so in a way that others would be gifted from it. You mentioned uh, Prez Jones's quote, you, you got to be somebody. Yeah, so do you oh, – go ahead. I'll let you make your – before I continue with that part. Well, I tell you what, I get excited about it because, you know, when somebody can tell you at a young lad the importance of being somebody, but not only he said that, he set an example. Prez set an example. He cared about the life, your lifestyle. He'd ask you about your home. How's your family? What can we do at Gramlin to help you to be better? And that just brought tears to my eyes. You know, I had a great mother and father, but I also said to myself, you know, I got another daddy too named Ralph Wall Emerson Jones, and that encouraged me. And he did that for the players. He did that for the college students. And, you know, during the Christmas holiday at the end of the semester, Prez would have everybody in the auditorium. And he'd bring them together and he'd make sure he'd tell them, don't you forget about your mother and father who worked so hard to get you here. And don't forget the old mule because the mule plied so you could have a, get an education too. And so he said things that made you laugh and feel good. That's why. Do you do you think um, that phrase, him saying you got to be somebody, materialized into our motto today, the place where everybody is somebody? 
I'm almost certain it did. I think he thought like that. He designed that in such a way because he looked at, you know, students were coming from all parts of the country, but many of them were from single parents. Many of them didn't have a father. Some of them didn't have a mother. Some of them was raised by their grandparents. And then when they got here, there was faculty members and other students who cared about you and wanted to see you excel. So that motto follows in line, where everybody is somebody. And he meant that from the bottom of his heart because he demonstrated that. You mentioned about uh, faculty members uh, being supportive of students and trying to motivate and encourage them. Did you recognize that as a student, even though you didn't live on campus, but did you recognize that there was a bonding, if you will, between the community and the school at that time when you were in Grambling? Yes, I, I, I sure did because, you know, what? if it's something that I didn't fully understand in a classroom, the teacher would always ask us after class, those of you need extra help, would you stay? And, you know, they could have been gone home. Uh, no email, no other mail. So we had right. to, it was just about talk to the kids, and they would show you step by step, like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And they would help you to learn and to learn. They didn't look down on you. They knew where you came from, and they knew why you should be trying to go places beyond where you are, and they helped you. They believed in you. Uh, so tell us about the transition for you from assistant coach um, to head coach. You know, first of all, I um, I was out recruiting. I didn't know whether I was going to get the coaching job or not, but I loved Gramlin. And when you said Gramlin, I said Gramlin because I was taught by Ralph Wall Emerson Jones, Eddie Robinson, Fred Hobden. Colin Nickerson, Dr. E.L. Cole, Mama Fire, and other persons. So I was out recruiting, trying to get some ball players. So whoever got the job, they would have some players. And so and during the fair time at State Fair, Prez used to send representation to talk about Gramlin and recruit students and let other parents and other person know more about Gramlin. They had a big table and a tent. And so I stopped by there, and Roy Jackson was there. Roy was in development and alumni. And I stopped by there to see how things were going. And he said, Ellis, did you read the paper? I said, no. What was in it? What happened? Somebody got hurt or something? He said, no, the headlines about Wilbert Ellis, named head baseball coach at Gramlin State University. You know what I did? I got down on my knees and I cried. And I said, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for Ralph Jones, Eddie Robinson, and all the people in my community and my mother and father. And that's how I made a right. Prayers prepared me in such a way that I could be prepared to go on and lead a team. 
I'd been coaching little teams, but I'd never coached high school teams. But Ralph Wall, Emerson Jones, and Eddie Robinson, Fred Hobden, Colin Nicholson, and Dr. Cole and them got me ready. And then I learned as I started. Coach Rob said, you got to go to the clinics. you got to have your notebook, and you got to sit on the front row. And just everything the speaker talk about, try to put it down so it can help you and develop, and you can give it to your players. And I felt so good. So I came back, and I went to work. I told my wife, I said, I got us a job. Now I can, I can get us three meals a day now, you know, and do some things. And so what I did, uh, we went, and I met with the team that we already had here left. And, I, you know, I didn't need to introduce myself because they knew me well. But I had to let them know I'm the head coach now. How did you all negotiate when you were um, traveling, I'm going to say, during your time as a player first? And then um, did you experience any, any of the same challenges as a coach in traveling? Well, you know, in the 40s, there's a lot of things happened in America. Racism was on. Segregation was on. And then when we would travel in the dining hall, would have to fix food for us, uh, lunches and milk and juice and stuff like that. So we would have on the bus. And then we'd have to find certain places to stop so it would be convenient for us to eat and not be harassed and all of that. Prez had talked to us well about all of those things. And uh, we were able to do it. I only one time we were going to Prairie View, Texas, and we were stopped. And uh, Prez, you know, told me to get out and ask, you know, the policeman what it was and let him know that he was the head man in charge, but I was his assistant. I got out and I spoke to the officer. And he said, well, where are you all boys going? And I told him that we were going to Prairie View, Texas, to play a baseball game. And he said, where are you from? We said we were from Gramlin College in Gramlin, Louisiana. And, uh, and we represent an institution of high learning. And Dr. Jones is on the bus. And he said, you talking about Ralph Jones? I said, yes, sir. He said, I know him. And I told Prez, I said, the officer know you. And everybody knew Eddie Robinson and Ralph Jones, wherever you would go, because the way they had conducted themselves, they understood what was going on in our society. And there was a certain way that you had to do to be able to move through it. And uh, we were able to move on, and we got through it. And that was, that was part. It could have been worse if we'd have got out and approached a different way. But we had been taught. As you, as head coach, did you experience any issues with traveling with players to certain places? And I know this would have been um, late 70s, but we do know that there was still possibly some unrest or unacceptance. Yeah, I, I, I don't recall any major problem that we've had because I always taught our team the same basic principle that Ed Robson and President Jones did. Uh, we prepared them as we moved that you, how you need to carry yourself 
if you're going into a store, go in and buy. We'd only let so many go in the store at one time and come out because we didn't want anybody to say that somebody had unauthorized and picked up something that they shouldn't have. And and we realized they were young. And uh, so we were able to handle it. You often started the season with a quote from Martin Luther King um, Jr., the time is always right. Why did you choose that quote, and what did it mean to you? Well, when I first heard Dr. King mention that, I thought it was a great thing. Uh, the time is right. It, it depends on how you look at it, how you see it, and what time it is. You know, Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, says the time and a place for all things. So I just figured that that quote would rhyme well by me being the baseball coach and uh, trying to get my team prepared to win championships and also become students, great students, students that would pass through uh, at the end of the semester, at the end of the year, and get their degree, you know. And that's what it is. I just felt that it was the best quote in the world. And I lived at that. The time is now. Well, you know, the way I feel, the time is now, now. <laughs> it depends on what you want to do in life. You know, you might have some disadvantages, but there's more advantages. You sent approximately 50 players to the major leagues. What things did you desire to instill in them, not only as uh, players, but also as men and productive um, citizens? I'm just glad you asked that. Because that is my teaching now. That is my practice now. And I try to demonstrate that. Everywhere I go, you know, I go all over the country. And uh, wherever I go, I talk about Gramlin State University, the institution that, that caused me to be where I am today. And I want that to be today. Students, when they leave here, feel the same way. Because they can get a great education if you want to go on and get your master. When I went to Kansas State University, I told everybody, I'm from Gramlin. You know, I might not be able to get everything that you have, but the things that I have and I'm mixed with Kansas State, I think I can do well. So the prime thing is to prepare yourself. Learn the basic skills and the steps that you need to help you get through and that's what I always believe, that if you do that, I think you can be successful. And we taught our guys that. When they left here, we t- taught them how to use the glove, how to use the bat, how to run, how to develop. And then we brought some of our former players back. They would come back, Ralph Garth, Matt Ellis, and, and all of those guys would come back to Gramlin. And they would teach what they learned in professional baseball. And that's the way it has been at Gramlin. Most of the sports, after they leave, they come back. Well, that's the way we want them to leave. We want them to have a, a love for dear old Gramlin, to come back, to give back, and to teach what's going on in the professional world to make us better when we get there. How did the relationship between Grambling? George Steinbrenner and the Yankees developed? It all started with College A. Nickerson, uh, Ralph Waller Emerson Jones, Eddie G. Robinson, 
Hobden and others uh, when they played uh, the first football game in New York at Yankee Stadium. They never had a football game at all, ever played that. And the relationship built so well, and George, as he always said, I called him Mr. Steinbrenner, and he told me, when you get to be close friend, you by name, first name. And that's why I said George today, the late George Steinbrenner, became a great friend of ours. And he made it possible for that game to happen at Yankee Stadium. And that was during the time of a lot of race issues and all of that was going on, marching and all of that. And it cooled down a lot of things by having that many people. They sold they sold the Yankee Stadium out mm-hmm. in football. And they all said it was because of Gramlin. And I believe that. And so we built relationships. And later, uh, I was with the second or third meeting. And uh, Coach Rob and Prez introduced me as the baseball man to Prez. And uh, they laughed about it and all of that. And then we got to be great friends. So one day, Coach Robinson received a call from George Steinbrenner. At that time, we didn't have a stadium. We just had some bleaches. And I said, man, you know, the God is so good. Something might happen from this. And so in the meeting, he said, I want to bring the Yankees to Grambling. Now, you're talking about my eyes. Talking about my eyes. You know, Reggie Jackson and Dell Strawberry and and all of those guys were on that team, man, and I know we would have a time, you know. And so he said they picked the date and the time. And they enjoyed themselves so well. We went to Carroll High School, Webster High School, and got bleaches. They let us have bleaches and uh, Ben Gibson Jones and and, and those guys and more of them went and got the bleachers and brought them back and put them up. And so we had stands all around the, re- the left and right and all out in the outfield and right field. And so the date was the date. And they said, the Yankees are coming, the Yankees are coming. And everybody couldn't believe it. So the superintendent called Coach Robinson and myself, and said, Eddie and Ellis, I have a problem. And Coach Rob said, what is the problem, Mr. Superintendent? He said, we won't have any students on the day of the game. So how do I handle that? So Coach Rob said, tell you what you do. You get in touch with the superintendent of education and tell him that you're going to have all the students to write an essay about the game and 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 let the original essay and you make copies of it. And uh and he said, Well, you and Ellis gonna have to be here when I make the call. He said, Coach said, tell them okay, because we want those kids there. Cause we want some of them to come to Gramlin. You know, we thinking about Gramlin more than just a game, what all it would do for Gramlin. And they had news reporters from New York and everywhere else. People were all up in the trees and everywhere. And our kids were nervous and so on. 
and I had a time trying to get them together, but they finally got together. So what we did, the superintendent said, let school out, and I'll be there. And so it was exciting. So we built a great relationship, and it was a fundraising, Ms. Day. It was a fundraising. We got the money to help us get a stadium along with state funding. Awesome. I remember that experience. I was one of those who was not in school that day because I was at the stadium when the Yankees came. So it was a it was a wonderful experience for me to get to see Reggie Jackson. Tell us about Grambling playing in the NCAA tournaments, baseball tournament. Well, it, we had some great excitement. I tell you, 1983 was one of the big excitement. University of Texas was number one. Cliff Gustus was the was the coach there and was a good friend of mine. And I met him at the American Coaches Convention. And uh, I got to know a lot of those coaches. And we kept working, kept working. And we built uh, we built a dynasty. And we, uh, Coach Robinson was the athletic director and head football coach. He came to the field. I was practicing my team. Didn't have no idea we were going to be Texas. We were going to play Texas. And... Uh, he came out and he said, Ellis, I just got the call from the NCA. You're in the lounge then. I said, what, who we playing? He said, the University of Texas, number one team. And the team heard it, and they just started shouting, we want them, we want them. And I went to practice and practice and worked on the base at Fallen Mellons. And you know what? We jumped out on Texas, won nothing until the seventh inning, and they tied it in the eighth. They won it in the 13th, 2-1. And I felt real good. We had a large number of guys signed, and Texas had about 19 guys signed on that team for professional ball. And then we went to Oklahoma, and then we played um, Sam Houston State. And uh, it was a great excitement and great experience for us. We didn't win the game, but they knew we were there, and we were grimmed. Outside of Grambling being in that tournament, you've spent many years in leadership roles with regional and super regional tournaments, as well as hosting give back clinics um, during the College World Series. Why is it important for you to stay connected with the sport at this level? Well, you remember I told you at nine years old, I just love baseball. And I asked God, I kind of planned my retirement. I retired in 2003. And I, I said to myself, you know, you got to do something that you enjoy, you love. What can you do? What can you continue? I know it was a lot of things. I had a couple of people who offered me jobs and all of that. But I didn't want to get back into the coaching after 43 years. I felt that it was time for me to relax and get in job, involved in things and uh, do something and give back. I believe that because I was taught by my mother and father. you got to give something back to your community. you got to give back something to help develop a youngster. And so what I did when I went to the coaching convention, I met Dennis Pope. He was over the NCAA baseball. And I, I got him and I stopped. I was at every meeting they would have. I didn't miss nothing at the convention. I wanted them to let them know I was there. And I want him to see me that I could do some work and do it well because I believed in myself. 
I had people who prepared me for Lee, my mother and father, of Walter Emerson Jones, Ada Robson, and all the way through. And so what I did, I asked, could I have breakfast with him? I noticed every day what time he go to breakfast. I noticed where, where he sat. And if he had somebody else to sit with him, who they were. And so what I did, I asked him, I said, Mr. Polk, uh, how you doing? I'm Wilbur Ellis. He said, I know who you are. You be at all the meetings. Well, I, that's what I'm supposed to be. And I said, you know, I, I'm getting ready to retire. And uh, I want to stay in baseball. What is it I can do at the level of the NCAA baseball that you feel that I can get into and prove myself that I am capable and able to perform the duties that has been handed out to me. And he said, what about serving as a super reasoner? I mean, a reasoner and a super reasoner uh, uh, director. And that's a person that is over the whole operation of that region. And, you know, you're in charge of everything. So you you got to be ready to display your ability and your talent and have good people that can do the job to make your job easy and will perform. And so the first assignment mistake, they sent me to Stanford University. I said, why did they send me to a school like Stanford, one of the top schools in the nation? They host, they got, they got everything that is needed to operate one. And so when I got there, I met the young lady who was over everything and, and tournament. And when I had my meeting with her, I said, it wasn't nothing but the gift to God for me to go to Stanford. I mean, they, they worked with me. They had everything designed. We had the right people to do everything to carry out. And we had a great region. And then my write-up of evaluation by Stanford University and NCA that I excel well. And so they asked me to stay and do the super regional, a rookie. Very good. Can you describe the movement and what went on to accomplish what we now know as the Eddie Robinson Museum here on this campus? Well, yeah, that was a, that was a kind of tough thing at the beginning. Uh, John Belton, James Davison, John and Mike Twill, um, Lottie Green, the late Lottie Green, and many other people in the community along with myself. I sat on the bedside with Coach many times during his illness and uh, continued to talk about the Eddie Robinson Museum. And I'd always say, Coach, we're going to get a museum. We're going to get it, and it's going to be A.D.G. Robinson Museum. They talked about it being in Shreveport. They talked about it being on Interstate 20. But Coach Robinson always wanted to be on the campus of Gramlin State University. You know, Eddie just believed that Gramlin, when you say Gramlin, you say Eddie Robinson. And when you say Eddie Robinson, you say Gramlin. And so we worked so hard, it was tough trying to get funding. At that time, the state funding wasn't too good at the time, but we eventually got some money. But I never shall forget uh, the Lindsay Foundation. Willie Davis was on that board in California who played football here and played for Green Bay Packers. 
set up a meeting at the Lindsay Foundation for me to come and present slides and information uh, division and the projection of the Eddie Robinson Museum and what it would look like and what our needs were. And I asked God to help me to be like Eddie Robinson when he used to go and stand before groups and got their attention so until they just gave everything Eddie wanted. I knew they weren't going to give everything I wanted, but at least I wanted to, to have something that we could take back. And when I met with the chairman of the board and got through making the presentation, he said, you know, you got a little Eddie in you. I mean, I said, well, I, I, if it's anybody I want to be like, I want to be like him, you know, being as much as I can be. And, uh, and he said, well, we're going to give you $200,000. And I started crying like Coach Robinson. I said, sir, you said 200000 And he said, I tell you what, and when we get through, can you do another presentation before the board at 2 o'clock? I said, yes, sir, I can do it whenever you say, sir. And, uh, and I went in, and I made the presentation. They gave us another 100000 awesome. I left with 300000 and Willie Davis said, that's the way you got to do it. That's the way you got to perform. People got to, you got to build relationships and you got to stay focused and let people know that this is what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And you need them to fulfill the full mission. And that's how we got started in state funding. And in 2010, people came from all walks of life. We opened the doors of the Eddie Robinson Museum. Okay, I, I want to step back just for a moment. Um, it's evident that all of the uh, athletic coaches at Grambling worked very well together because you called their names, Coach Hobby, Coach Robinson, even Prez Jones as a baseball uh, coach. If you would, do you have a favorite uh, memory of Coach Rob and and or and Coach Hobby? <laughs> We used to travel together everywhere. They call us the big three. And uh, Coach Rob, Coach Hobb, we would be together. Everywhere we would go, one would be with the other. And uh, we had brother-in-law. We had respect. And when Coach Robinson spoke, the two of us listened. And whenever we would speak, he would listen to us. And we become, became a family-like, not just a working relationship, but a family-like. And we socialized together. We met together. And, you know, Coach Robinson would always say, look, it's one thing we have to do, Hobden Ellis. We have to do everything we can to make Gramlin greater. And then when we go out, let's make sure we say the things that need to be said. So respect for Gramlin, love for Gramlin, and people want to build relationships with Gramlin. And so that's what we did from day to day. And then we'd always have our other things. We'd have certain places we'd stop and eat, and, you know, the people know us, and Coach Rob would crack different stories to them and all of that. So it was just great. We just great. I mean, he could call me at five o'clock in the morning. I was up at three, getting ready, 
because I knew it was going to be a great learning experience. I knew it was going to be a time where we could enjoy each other and we were going to talk about Graham. i tell you one thing, though. We wanted to make sure that anything that we could do or say for Graham, that's what we want to do. Because I know if you can build a proper relationship, you can get some things done. Finally, kind of expressed it in a way, uh, one, your future hope, especially from the athletic perspective with improvement of facilities and things like that. But do you have, generally speaking, what do you see a wish for the future of Grambling State University? I see Grambling could have a great future. Uh, You know, I know budgets is important, getting faculty important, uh, getting the various people in place to do the things that need to be done to give us the type of attitude and uh, environment to excel to the highest. Uh, You know, I don't worry about another school. When I was recruiting, I never worried about Southern Jackson. I always talked about Gramlin. And I just want us to be in a position so when we talk about Gramlin, we don't have to talk about anybody else or We just talk about our school, and when we talk about our school, the light should light up in such a way that our faith and our work will speak. You know, the thing about it is that if you do what you're supposed to do and do it well and have the right attitude and say that, you know, I'm going to do this because I have a job to do, I want to excel. I want my resume to be good. I want to do well with my students. I spoke to the Honors College this year. And when I got through and looked at all the list of people and all of that, I said that, you know, this is what you all are supposed to be about. You don't stop here. You keep running. You run. You run. But when you run, put a G on and let a light shine so people can see it. But this doesn't represent just students. This represents everybody, alumni, faculty, administration, everybody have to light up and come together. I get really excited about this because my heart is in it. I love this place. I've given my young life and my other life to it too. And I hope that when my last days here on earth, that I have given something back can always be seen. And people will say, he did his best. He gave it because he loved Gramlin. And that's what I hope everybody else would do. But we have to we have to design some things to make all of these things happen in a capsule. Well, I'd like to say, uh, Coach Ellis, it's been a pleasure. Anytime I get to see you, and I thank you for taking this time out to share with us, and I thank you uh, again for your time. If, is there anything else you'd like to share in closing? Yeah, every time I look at you, I think about your dad and mom with that smile. And you keep the good work going because it's important uh, to have some of the legends still living and uh, the history of those who had given their life and died on this song. 
so we could have a Grambling State University. I want to say out there to the community and all the people, come to Grambling. When you come, visit the museum. When you come to visit our campus, and when we come, send some children. You've been listening to the Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history podcast, a production of the students and faculty of the Grambling State University History Department, along with faculty at the University of Arkansas. Be sure to listen in to one of our other episodes, and if you have a voice you would like to share or have a nomination for a voice that needs to be heard, please contact the History Department of Grayling State University for more information.